Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. It's Hugh Ballou and Russell David Dennis. Russell, how are you out there in Denver, Mile High, Colorado? You know, the sun is shining, but you step outside and it's very cold. I'm having northern Maine flashbacks with these single-digit temperatures here. We are recording in the winter time. People listen to this podcast all all places. It might be warm in the other hemisphere, and it might be summer in the northern hemisphere when, uh, when uh, they listen to it. But the messages that we we give you and the, the techniques and the strategies and the information, it doesn't have a season. It's, it's stuff that you can use anytime. And this is a real important topic today, like all of them, but we tend to skip over this thing of branding. We kind of think it's a picture, a logo. We got a brand, we got a logo. So we're gonna explore the different facets of branding and kind of give you a top level view of what it looks like and what it is, and one of the best people I know has this great book out called Twist, and Julie Cotino, did I say it right, Julie? That's enough. (laughs) I have a good memory, it's just very short. So thank you for being our guest today. Tell the people that are listening or watching this a little bit about you and a little bit about Brand Twist. Sure, well, I think I've been uh, branding since I was eight years old. Uh, that's what it went back uh, when I was a little girl growing up in Massachusetts and my parents wouldn't let me have a pet because my brother was allergic. And I went out in my garden, I took a rock and I put it in a Cool Whip container and I poked holes in the Cool Whip container so the rock could breathe. And I invented the pet rock. And uh, two years later, some guy named Gary Dahl in San Francisco invented the official pet rock because he was also fed up with you know, regular pets. He was at a bar after work, uh, worked in advertising, and all his friends were leaving to walk their dogs and feed their cats. And he said, there's got to be a pet, you know, that's no hassle. So he created the official pet rock for no hassle. I created the non-allergic pet rock. But ever since then, I've been uh, really creating solutions, you know, with a twist, you know, looking at things from a different, from a different angle. Twist. No, how did that name come about? Well, actually, that's another story. Uh, I was uh, working as a branding consultant for Interbrand, really large branding agency, and I was traveling all over the country. And I was at Newark Airport here in New York uh, one day, and I looked out of the uh, window and I saw this 747 with these golden arches on the tail fin. And I stopped in my tracks. I thought that that would be a really interesting airline. You know, it would be uh, different than all the other airlines that have the same color seats and the same stewardesses and the same experience. And I thought in a McDonald's airline, you know, maybe I could buy a regular economy seat and then supersize it you know, to, to a premium seat. And I uh, looked up again and I realized that it was a mirage. It was actually the, the reflection of the food court sign on the window and there happened to be a plane. You guys following me? So it was, uh, you know, it was hallucination, hallucination. But um, it started me thinking: if you're in the airline business and you want to really break through, stop worrying about all your airline competitors and twist with other brands. You know, find um, brands that you admire that are doing cool things that are outside of your category, and twist those lessons with your brand. And that uh, that started it all. We um, we put a pretty snazzy title for this. The the top mistakes. What are some of the things that people do that you wish they they hadn't done? Yeah, we put the top three mistakes, and it was hard to keep it to three. But I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll throw bet throw in a fourth. And these were mistakes that nonprofits are making. Um, so the first one is actually what we were just talking about is not really understanding what a brand is. In fact, confusing your branding with your marketing. And that's a really big mistake because your marketing is how you get your message out. 
but your branding is your fundamental story. You know, what are you about? Why should people care? And all great stories, if we think about our favorite movies or our favorite books, they have a twist. They have something unexpected in the plot. So number one mistake is stop saying, if I only had 10 times the marketing budget, I could build my nonprofit. Well, I could throw 20 times the marketing budget at you, but if your brand isn't in shape, your, your fundamental story of who you are, who you serve, and what's different about you, then it's a waste of money. It's a waste of money. What happens, what happens when, um, I, guess, I guess one of the fundamental branding issues with a nonprofit is the word nonprofit. Because <laughs> it, it, really, it really puts us in a twist, a negative twist, of scarcity thinking and nonprofit. Well, we gotta have profit to be able to run this church or synagogue or community community uh, charity. Um, so how do we how do we set the how do we start out on this journey, Julie, of creating our brand? And 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 talk about uh, brand image, brand promise, brand identity. There's a lot of facets to this, right? Besides the logo. Oh yeah, that's your brand is not your logo. Your brand is fundamentally your story and your logo and your name should help reflect that. Yeah, I think a very unique um, challenge of nonprofits is really the second mistake is that um, they really try to welcome everybody. You know, not people who work in the nonprofit world are attracted to it because there's this very inclusive instinct. And branding is actually about choices. So if you have a, you know, a page of your website that, that tries to tell everybody about everything that you do, you will, not, you will connect with no one. You know, it's like the twist on AT&T, you know, reach out and touch someone. It's sort of like reach out and touch no one. So what I, what I say is the most important thing about branding is to be very clear on who you want to serve and the issues you want to really you know, promote and be very choiceful and narrow them down. Most nonprofit websites look like somebody just threw spaghetti up on the website and wanted to see what sticks. You know, branding's like an onion. If you tell me just a little bit for me to get to know you, then I'll, I'll keep peeling back the layers and I'll get to know you more. So less is more in branding and particularly in nonprofit branding. Oh my word. We see a lot, uh, Russell. We see lots of lots of funky things, don't we? Well, yeah, it gets really interesting. Uh, if you're marketing, if your target is everyone, then you're marketing to no one. And so, what it's about is really having people understand what it is that you do, because a, a confused mind always says no. <laughs> exactly. uh, so, from a perspective of nonprofit, yeah, what is it precisely? that a brand should do for a nonprofit? What is that main benefit that they get? Because I don't think people always understand the benefit in taking time to actually build a brand. What is that main benefit and how does that really empower nonprofits? Yeah, I think the main benefit is your brand promise and getting really clear on your brand promise and and, and getting really specific on your brand promise. You know, it's not, we want to help people or we want to make everyone feel included or we want to um, make life better. You know, those brand promises are not going to stick because not that they're not valid, but they're just so overused. You know, it's like when Charlie Brown hears the teacher talk, right? And all he hears is wah, 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 wah right? So when I work with nonprofit clients, I say the first thing is, what problem are we trying to solve? And can we get really specific on that problem? And not, for example, that we want to, you know, give people shelter or help homeless people, but, you know, keep digging deeper and deeper that we, you know, that we want to help people feel at home, that we want to help people, you know, feel more that they can realize who they who they are in their minds versus who how other people are seeing them and we just keep digging and digging and we get to one brand promise and the main thing we do with that brand promise is we don't validate it 
by looking at all the other nonprofits in our space. And we don't create it by committee, which is really, really hard for nonprofits because nonprofits love committees. So <laughs> what we try to do is say, if there's an, a leader of the nonprofit, whether it's the president of the board or the head of marketing, they need to own the brand. Everybody else can contribute their ideas, but at some point someone so, needs to say, we need to go in this direction and I need everybody to get on board versus we need a direction that everybody can live with, but no one hates. And that's, you know, the definition of weak branding when you, when you go to the lowest common denominator. We got you sound bites here, doesn't you, Russ? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. You know, so, you know, it's, uh, it's quite a field. I've done some, some marketing myself. I started out working in market research and sold some advertising uh, on television and in print. Uh, but that doesn't really speak to brands. So, um, and I was just kind of fascinated by why people do some things. Uh, describe to us uh, what attracted you to the career of helping others build the brand. How did, how did that particular piece of uh, uh, marketing expertise jump out at you? Well, I've always liked storytelling. I mean, I studied uh, communications, but I also studied creative writing. Um, when I was little, my, my idol, my rock star was Judy Bloom. I once, um, I won a contest at the library to go hear her speak. And to me, that was like, you know, winning, I don't know, the Super Bowl. I mean, I was just so excited by it. So I've always been interested in storytelling. And I think that, uh, Branding, as I said, is, is a very unique way to tell your story. And, uh, and that's, um, you know, making it act, making it, I mean, you can see me here I'm in my office, right? I'm, I'm using, I like to use all the different tools that I have. So my brand is purple, right? Because it's the twist of red and blue. And I tell my story, not just in words, but also in images, so you will never see me on stage without some purple on the, the walls of the office, you know, are purple, the cover of my book is a twist of pink and purple. So I think that nonprofits also one of the, you know, one of the mistakes that I see them making is they use stock photography um, because it's cheap. And I understand that, but um, they build websites uh don't invest a lot of money in them, but build them with a lot of um, images that from the minute they, you know, set up their nonprofit, they're saying we're just like everybody else. And I think there are um, very inexpensive ways to even take start photography, but frame it differently, treat it with a different color. And the way that we, that we learn those lessons is we look at brands like Tiffany's right? Tiffany's is a great brand to, to twist with. I mean, if somebody gives you a blue Tiffany's box, <laughs> you know, I say to my husband, it almost, almost doesn't matter what's in the box, right? Because the blue is their brand, Tiffany's Robin Egg Blue. It sets up this expectation of an experience. And I think that nonprofits should to look at things like that, like owning a color, like Target, as soon as you've seen a Target ad, right? You see the red Target, you know, right away. Even if you don't hear the name or, or see the logo, you can see a slice of the logo. You, right, you know right away it's a, a Target ad. You know, it's funny you bring that up. They're changing their colors. Where we live in, in Lynchburg, they're changing to white. And I just, I don't know where I am. <laughs> I was so into the red. Now the doors are still red and people still wear the red and khaki. Now, you had a time that you were vice president of uh, Richard Branson's Virgin brand. What are some of the important things that you learned from that experience? That's pretty powerful. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned from Richard is not to be afraid to fail. Uh, he has an expression. Um, the one expression he has is fail harder. Uh, but another expression he has that uh, hopefully is okay for this podcast, it's actually the title of one of his books, is um, Screw It, Let's Do It. You know, which means like if you have a good idea and it feels like it's going to make an impact, don't test it to death. Don't run it through, you know, 10 different committees. Just try it. 
And it might be successful, it might not be successful, but we all know that we learn the most from the things that, that go wrong. So it really opened me up to be more adventurous and to, uh, actually, I came home from my corporate job. I'd been there for five years. I was having a great time. And I said to my husband, you know, screw it, let's do it. I'm going to start my own company. <laughs> and, uh, he said, uh, I don't think that's what that means. You know, we have two children to put food through college. And I said, no, that's exactly what that means. You know, I have an idea to create a branding consultancy and a book and a learning program, and I'm going to do it. And if it's successful, great. If it's not, I'm going to learn a lot. And that's what I did seven years ago, actually. Wow. You're still there doing it. Your yeah. book is called Twist, How Fresh Perspectives Build Breakthrough Brands. And I remember you kindly sent me a copy to preview, and I think I did a respectable interview of you about a couple of years ago on the, yeah. uh, the Orchestrating Success podcast for business leaders. This is a wholly different focus today for Really, it's not. Branding, good branding, good leadership, good marketing is probably the same. We do have a lot of hang-ups when we're working from a, a church or synagogue or a nonprofit that we shouldn't have. But where can, um, where can people get your book, Brand, the Twist book? You can get it on Amazon. Probably the easiest place. And the color makes it stand out. And yeah. I was amazed, Russell, that, that she finds a way to twist that that word twist into pretty much every page of that book. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal how the, the subtleties of this play out. I want to, but before Russ goes on with another question, I want to ask you about, um, you do board retreats. You and I were talking a little bit before the interview. And I just want to, there's, there's a tension between different perspectives and uh, an apparent contrast for me, you know, when you have this side and this side, when you start looking at the intersection, there's, there's some real finite truth or wisdom. Um, so we can't make a decision. Well, like a, a zebra is probably a horse designed by a committee. Um, you know, you, we have a different outcome, but we also have ownership at some level. So when you do uh, like a board retreat, it's, I would assume it's a branding retreat. Talk a little bit about the dynamics of how the board plays into the decision and then how it goes from the retreat to the final decision. So I think that's where a lot of us get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Board retreats are really interesting dynamics. I mean, the, the first thing I do is get everybody out of, out of whatever the location is, whether it's the church or the synagogue, you know, into a relaxed atmosphere, an atmosphere where they can think differently, right. To use the, to use the apple. Um, and then I also get them to start thinking about other brands, because I think a lot of times we don't think about our organization as a brand, as a story, right, as something unique. And we get bogged down in, well, that won't work. We tried that, and I'm not sure about that. And I think what we have to remember is the people that we're trying to engage, you know, whether it's members of a church or a synagogue or donors or volunteers for a nonprofit, they don't live in this box that only our brand exists in. You know, they live in the wider world, the wider brandscape. And so I go in and ask the board members actually ahead of time, what brands do you admire and why, right? So if you admire Starbucks because it customizes your order or Nike because it motivates you or Uber because it helps you seamlessly get around when you're on a business trip, why wouldn't you bring some of those qualities to your organization? Why wouldn't you twist some of those things? You know, why shouldn't our church or synagogue or nonprofit also be customized and seamless to use and, you know, have clever, impactful messaging? And so when I get them to think beyond their nonprofit to this larger brandscape and twist those ideas, then, um, then it really breaks through. And we come up in a short amount of time with solutions that we hadn't had, you know, you know, for months and months of board meetings. You know, the second part of your question is the trickier part, which is how do you how do you move it forward? And that's where I would say it shouldn't be a democracy. You know, whether the president of the board or the head of the nonprofit should get the input of everybody. But if they're in a position of leadership, they have to take the leadership and say, I've listened to everybody, this is what we're gonna do. 
You don't all have to agree with it 100%. You just have to understand why we're doing it and you have to help us tell the story to a larger group. That's an interesting perspective. And, and there is this a tricky balance to strike uh, as far as getting buy-in because obviously you want your people to, to come in and, and go with that. And so who exactly is brand twisting for? And with nonprofits, you have multiple audiences. You've got multiple constituencies. You have your board. You have your volunteers. You have donors. You have other people who fund your work. You have staff. So how do you make that marriage work for all of those different audiences? And is twisting, who's twisting specifically for? And how do you do that? Yeah, I like to I like to work, we call them brand development committees. So if, if we're gonna do I just rebranded a school system, for example, and we created a brand development committee. It had the superintendent was the leader of that committee, because ultimately she is the leader of that brand, right? And she had to buy into it. We had two members of the board represented, not all 12, just two. We had uh, a, a few actual practitioners um, represented, so some principals or teachers. And then we had actually some staff represented. So the people who, if we were gonna change the website on a daily basis, we're gonna have to program it and things like that. So we had a committee of about, I don't know, eight or 10 people. We worked in that committee and we got uh, through surveys and other strategic planning, we got input from the community, from parents, from students, from, you know, you can pull in input as data points, but don't make your committee 30 people sitting around a table. You're not going to get anything done, right? So the eight to 10 people worked on the branding solutions. We led them through the process. And then we went, we committed as a group with really the superintendent's uh, opinion counting the most to the one recommendation we were gonna go back to the school board and make. And with a lot of great rationale of how we got to the journey, but it worked because we, 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 we had a process, we had representation, but ultimately we went with a recommendation and a, a clear rationale on that recommendation. Yeah, well, when it comes to communication, the span of control is about eight people. And once you get beyond eight, the wheels start to come off the wagon. Yeah, so, and, so, and really important what we did, sorry to interrupt, what we did is when we rebranded, we didn't ask everybody, do you like this, right? Because if you, you know, branding is, it's like naming your kids, right? You never tell anybody your kids, your intended names until you, the birth announcement comes out because all those opinions aren't going to be helpful. Right. And it's your opinion as the parent that really counts. So we created, uh, we named the new logo so that every, and we gave it a story. We created a video that explained the change. We, uh, we launched internally first. So all the teachers beyond the committee got the preview first. And then we went, you know, out to the larger group. So it wasn't like a brand launch was overnight. Uh, it wasn't just throwing up a logo and saying, what do you think? It was a really carefully crafted story that we kept telling over and over for about a year till everybody understood it and got it and got behind it. You know, one of the things you mentioned in the book when it comes to branding is that, that people have blinders on around that. Uh, what is it that you mean by blinders and how do we work around these? Yeah. So it's like, you know, a horse, if you're trying to lead a racehorse out and you put the blinders on so, so they can't see anything beyond them, keeps them going forward. But the downside of that in branding is we get, you know, we work in, I don't know, a nonprofit that has to do with cancer, right? And we spend all our time looking at other nonprofits that have to do with cancer. And we, we worry about being seen as legitimate. And because we worry about being seen as legitimate, we end up being very safe, but also using the same words and images as everybody else. That's what I mean by brand blinders. It's only thinking in your category. Whereas if you lift your head up, I mean, honestly, your next board meeting, have it in a Starbucks, right? That would be a good use of everybody's time or in your favorite restaurant or in your favorite brand experience and say, you know, 
look around. Why are we feeling how, why are we spending twice as much on a cup of coffee? And, you know, why, why is this an experience that we all, you know, come to? Why is everybody else hanging out here? What are they doing? Look how they're naming the baristas. Looking, look how they're using the color green, right? Look how they're creating an, an atmosphere of welcome, right? What are the specific things that they're doing to make us feel like this is not just a cup of coffee, but an engaging experience? And how can we twist those with our nonprofit? What, are, what do you think are some of the more common mistakes that nonprofit leaders have? I imagine that these blinders have a lot to do with it, but, uh, but what are the most common ones? Yeah, I think just sticking within the category is a really common one. I think another thing is, is um, taking too much input, you know, trying to do too many things. Like I mentioned, you know, your most nonprofit websites, the front page will give you a headache because they're just talking about everything because this one has that program and that, you know, setting a very clear vision and, and using that as a, a funnel. Um, you know, I would say also there's some really overlooked brand touch points that nonprofits should think about. So in my book, I talk about these vomit bag moments, um, which came from Virgin Atlantic, uh, which was one of the brands that, that, was, that I looked after um, as part of Virgin Management. And Virgin Atlantic did a very clever thing. They had these air sickness bags, which actually they had to provide anyway. It's an FAA requirement. They have to be in every seat pocket for every flight over, I think, six hours. And most airlines, well, what color are they for most airlines? White. Right. They're white. They're plain. There's no message. So what Virgin Atlantic did is they, they branded them. They made them red, which is the brand color, but they wrote a little story on them about how flying, you know, used to be fun. People used to get dressed up. And then what happened to flying in terms of, you know, they took away all the peanuts, all seven of them. And then at the end, they twisted it back to a story about, on how Virgin Atlantic, you'll always feel great flying. So what I say to for-profit and non-profit clients is, what are, your what are your vomit bag moments? What are the things that you're doing anyway as part of your brand experience, but you could add a twist? Whether it's um, an invoice that you send, you know, whether it's a thank you note, um, you know, whether it's a, a gift, uh, you know, uh, uh, on hold music, right? If you have a if you have a phone, uh, part of you know calling as part of your nonprofit, those are the little moments where you could add something that supports the brand and really stands out. Well, when did when did this um, word twist first come in your present thinking, and and how did that get so deeply embedded in your your being? Well, I think it really was that airline experience, you know, when I realized, you know, the McDonald's airline um, that I needed, I needed to look at a different way. I needed to look at things from a different angle. And, uh, and the more I started using it, the more that people really um, played it back to me as something that was helpful to them. Ah, I, I, I like how um, Russell, you know, she, she uses that instead of other words um and and twisting ideas into something that's unique um part of what y'all are talking about as i'm um listening here is back when you started this interview uh today who do we serve it's our avatar so to speak and russell talked about marketing we got to have a target but um we want to attract certain people and, and we tend to think oh everybody needs us so how do you help your clients uh, narrow down to that really, that specific person that they want to attract? Yeah, well, we actually create um, brand avatars. Um, so we, we look at up to three targets and we create personas for each of them. So, you know, instead of saying it's uh, like if you're, if you're a medical uh, nonprofit instead of saying it's healthcare practitioners that are you know that we want to attract, we'll we'll say you know it's it's Doctor Bob and we'll give Bob a backstory and you know what keeps him up at night and who lives in his household and creating almost like a character in a novel and we'll do that up to three times um, 
so what we're looking for though is to turn this target into real people who have real problems that we can help solve and and so when we're talking um we're talking to a specific person we're talking to the person that's sitting in a community nonprofit um, trying to figure out how they're going to attract donors how they're going to try to attract more volunteers how they're going to attract the next board member and I, I, and Russell hit on it earlier. He said a confused mind says no. How many times, Russell, have we had people ask folks for a donation or ask them to be on the board, and all he gets excuses because all that person sees is up. Oh, they're gonna I'm gonna get sucked into this vortex. <laughs> well, uh, endless time commitment and bottomless uh, uh, blank checks. You know, so those sort of things, and so people aren't clear. But a brand is really important. The one question I have about a brand is, is a brand, once you make it, is a brand forever? Or are there appropriate times to look at it to see if what you have may be outdated, maybe not working? That's a great question, Russell. I think you do need to update your story every once in a while, or at least take a look at it. So... You know, there, I do a lot of rebranding when there are either organizations that merge, when there's major changes in the segment that that organization serves, sometimes when there's new leadership. Um, but I think it's a very, very worthwhile um, exercise, you know, I don't know, every five years or so to check in and say, you know, is the story that we're telling now relevant to the people that we're trying to serve? Is it relevant to what, who we are at this moment? You know, have we become something different? You know, and um, even if you go through one of those exercises uh, and you don't change anything, you know, with the outwardly facing part of your brand, you might not change your name or your logo or anything like that, you will have validation that you're telling the right story. Um, so I think that's really, really important exercise to do. And I, I would say if you look at great brands in the for-profit world, you know, if you take Coca-Cola, for example, their core brand promise has always been about happiness, right? But every once in a while, every few years or so, they'll update either their advertising. You know, I'd like to teach the world to sing. We probably remember that one, right? Or open Coke and a smile or, or happiness. Um, so it, the fundamentals are there, but there is a bit of a refresh and people get excited about the refresh. It's also people pay attention to brand refreshes or rebranding. So it's a great opportunity to get out in front of your targets. It's a great opportunity to get out in front of your donors, for example, and say, let us tell you what's new. You know, you might have noticed that we've made some changes. It's not just because we, we needed cosmetic changes. It's because our vision is evolving and we wanted the brand to reflect that vision. Hmm. You, um, we've talked around these terms. Uh, let's clarify, you've used the word brand promise a few times. And um, there's a brand image, a brand identity, a brand promise. There's different facets um, of those words that you use, or how do you segment the different parts of a brand? Well, I would say your brand identity is everything, right? Your is the way you you show up, the way you present yourself to the world, not just in your logo and your website and all that, but in your in the way your people behave, everything. Your brand, I look at it as a house. Your brand promise is the roof, right? That is the main thing that you stand for, right? There's actually a diagram in my, in my book of the roof of a house. Um, that is what you enable. So if you look at Nike, for example, they don't sell, they sell sneakers, but their brand promise is just do it, right? And then supporting that roof, you have three brand pillars, and those are your values. So why should I believe that you're somebody who can help me just do it? Well, you have three pillars that support that. So when we're doing strategy, we nail down to the problem we're solving, why, why do we exist, and what's our solution, but also what is our unique value proposition? What, what do we do that's, that's different from others? 
that's is that the building block to a brand how does that fit into the branding that you do yeah i think your unique value proposition is your brand twist you know that is your brand promise um when i do it i like to make them really succinct and easy to remember i'm not a big believer in vision mission values you know having 10 layers of the brand uh, when i do it i answer four questions the first question is who are we trying to serve and really dig into that psychographic you know what are we promising them and that's your brand promise or your unique value proposition and then why should they believe us and that's your brand values so you've got who what why and then the last question i answer is how how do i bring it to life that's a you know, what is my website? What is my tagline? What is the way that I dress? You know, what is, uh, what are the kinds of people that I hire? And one of the biggest mistakes that I see for nonprofits and for-profits is they say, well, we want to update our website. Or if you're creating a new nonprofit, I want to create a new website. And they go right to the how, you know, how are we going to bring this to life? But they don't do the who, what, and why. They don't have a strategy. So they spend hours and hours, versions and versions of logos or websites. They waste a ton of money and they think, oh, I'll just know it when I see it. Uh, and that's not a great way to create a brand. You know, you have to have a strategy. And once you have a strategy, the execution is actually pretty easy. Wow, that's so common. Um, Russ and I see that a lot. We had um, David Corbin on here a while back and David has a book called Brand Slaughter. Um, he, um, and we've seen that happen with um, another airline. We won't mention the name, but their initials are United. Um, that, that some one person really destroyed the brand. Um, and it's just happened a few times, but there's other, other companies where one person acted in a way that, that violated what I think the company wanted to represent their, their value proposition and their brand identity. So what we do, I mean, we do values and principles, guiding principles. And part of that is how do we behave in the culture? How do we make decisions? So, so talk a minute about taking this brand promise that we've got, your, your whole brand identity, and how do we get people that are volunteers, board members, committee members to represent that brand? Because we can violate that brand with our behavior, can't we? Yeah, and that's, you asked me what I learned from Richard Branson. I think that's the second biggest lesson besides, you know, taking chances was that your employees are the ambassadors of your brand because they bring the brand to life in their behavior. So I actually do a lot of internal brand activation, meaning I train employees on the brand, but I train them how to behave based on the brand. So if our brand, you know, stands for um, teamwork, you know, are we, we actually look at all of our systems and saying, where are we really acting like a team and where are we breaking down? And it, even as much as I had one client who was standing for teamwork, but we realized in their office, uh, they had a cubicle office, an open plan, but lots of cubicles. There were no nameplates. So somebody knew to the team, it was taking them months to learn everybody's name. That's not a way to create a team. You know, they'd see each other in the cafeteria and they'd want to talk to each other. They were embarrassed. I can't remember, you know, what your name is. So just even something as little as that, uh, definitely hiring. I use my brand values. Even if I'm hiring an intern, I ask them questions. Tell me about a time that you twisted. Tell me about a time that you solved, you know, a problem from a different angle. So hiring, training, and rewarding on brand. So don't keep your brand values, you know, in a, in a notebook somewhere, you know, people will start uh, really paying attention to them if they know that their, you know, compensation or their advancement is tied to them. I just remembered um, when I was in high school, the twist was a dance. <laughs> Russell, rescue me, will you? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you know, thank God for the power of good video editors and sound editors. You know, the first couple of months I was co-hosting there. This is Hugh and old Whatsy who's it over there in Colorado somewhere. Uh, but 
you know, it's important for people in the organization to have all the tools. And I think that if your organization is is uh, uh, firing on all cylinders, even the person that comes in and sweeps the floor at night can talk to you about what that organization does and uh, and how it how it works. But we've had good discussions, and, and you know. The, the brands that stick out in our mind are, are large, a lot of them larger than life. A lot of small nonprofits are resource starved and, and they're listening to all of this and they're thinking, well, that's probably well and good if you got a hundred grand to throw it at, at, uh, at your marketing. But what if you're like us, we're small, we don't have a lot of resources. How do we build the brand? And how do we bring all of this about with with a very limited number of resources? Yeah, I mean, actually having a strong brand is even more important if you have limited resources. Because if you have limited resources, you can't afford to have things that don't tell a really tight story. So I work with a lot of really small businesses, I mean, and nonprofits, one, two, three people, you know, size companies. And we spend that time on the brand promise and the brand pillars because that allows you then to use every tool in the toolbox to tell the same story. So branding is actually harder, um, but more important when you're smaller because it allows everything to work together. And when I, you know, when I worked at Virgin, we uh, actually spent way, way less than all of our competition on advertising, way less, you know, Virgin Atlantic spends way less than uh, British Airways, for example. But those ads would stand out and they would create loyal following and they would punch above their weight because they were very clear about who they were going after. And the twist was very clear. What was different about the experience was very clear. So what are what are some of the tools as a bare minimum that you think somebody in the nonprofit should have to be able to talk about the organization uh, in a compelling way? Are there one or two tools that you would say are absolutely essential? And how important is it that these are simple and easy to use? Well, I think your website is probably the biggest tool. So, you know, for, for good or for bad, people you know, come in, even if they're just going to meet with you in person, they're going to look at your website. Your, your brand walks in the room before you and it sticks around after you're gone. So um, I think having a smaller website, one or two pages that are just super clear and really visually engaging is really important. The same thing for business cards. You know, I think, again, you know, as you said, a confused mind doesn't remember anything. Just keep it really simple, really streamlined. So I think your website, your business card, and then I think your presentation, you know, you can do a lot with, with live presentations, but talk on your elevator pitch, have your elevator pitch be very concise, you know, help people understand what you do in three floors, not in 35 floors. And that all comes from really getting clear on your brand and practicing it. I also think that, um, I mean, I, I was telling Hugh at the beginning that I've done a lot of work lately with personal branding, um, helping teach a class at Stanford with Tyra Banks, who you know has built a huge personal brand as an entrepreneur and a model. And I think that nonprofit leaders need to embody their personal brands and they need to show up as their brands, whether that's wearing a color or a tie or a pin or, you know, uh, don't go around saying that your company is caring or in your nonprofit is caring or innovative and, and not acting that way. You know, one of the reasons why I think Richard Branson has been uh, so successful is his brand is about shaking things up. His, the Virgin brand is about shaking things up, but his personal brand is about shaking things up. You know, and he spends a lot of time, he's actually the most followed executive, I think, on Twitter. You know, he tweets about not just business, but about life where he's frustrated about things and he's finding new ways to solve old problems. You mentioned, uh, sir. I'm sorry, Russ, go ahead. 
No, I was just saying, I, I follow uh, Richard Branson on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, he, he has a lot of interesting things to say and a lot of people uh, think about him. And I think most of us have interesting things to say. And a lot of people may not be clear on how interesting the stuff they have to say is or how to put it together. And we talked about the power of stories. And so how do you work with people that are having difficulty finding their voice, what it is they stand for, or what it is they want to communicate? Well, the first thing I do is I offer uh, brand health checks. And these are the best place to start. It's like you wouldn't go into your doctor and, and just say, hey, we've got to fix everything, right? You go in once a year and you say, here are the things that I feel good about, you know, that I feel healthy. And here are some things that I think need some attention. So we offer these brand health checks um, through the website. And what we do is we spend some time, we ask you some questions, we'll look at your materials, whether it's your LinkedIn profile, or your website, and then we'll come up with, we'll sort of triage, you know, what are the, what are the areas that you need to look at? You know, maybe your brand promise is pretty good, but you're just not expressing it right. Or maybe your targeting is all over the place. Uh, you know, maybe you, you need to use social media in a slightly different way or colors in a slightly different way. So these brand health checks are, um, are a great place to start. In your book, you um, talk about brand blinders. What, what, what is, uh, can you say a little about that? Sure, those are uh, when, you're, when you're looking uh, in your category and not outside of your category to, for inspiration. So taking off your brand blinders means that you're looking, uh, you know, beyond your segment uh, to the larger world for inspiration. Hmm. You said you work with a lot of, um, I want to make sure we, we highlight this offer you made to get the checkup. You say you work with um, a lot of uh, individuals on personal branding, small businesses, and nonprofits. So we have um, probably a mixture of all of those that, that follow us and listen to us um, and watch this. So where do they go first off for this, this, this uh, what do you call it, a brand checkup? Yeah, so we have two, we have two um, diagnostic uh, products. One is a brand health check, and that's 60 minutes, and that's if you want to talk about your overall nonprofit. And you can go to brandtwist.com, get started, and it says brand health check. If you're interested just in your personal brand, uh, we have a personal brand plan call, and that's a half an hour. And um, that's very similar, but we'll ask you a little bit more personal questions. And that's great for people who want help with their leadership, who are changing careers, who are job seekers. I talk a lot to um, recent graduates, right, who want to get into the nonprofit or another space. Um, so that's for people who are, uh, want to focus on their personal brand. But all roads lead to brandtwist.com. And uh, well, we're going to have a special promotion for your for your listeners. Oh, you are. That's a little wave yeah. a little carrot out there. Now, um, people listening to the podcast can't see that this, but behind your head, it says Brand School. What is that? So, Brand School is our online um, school that we offer a few times a year for um, for small businesses and nonprofits. It's a ten week program. And uh, we get you all of the consulting that a big company would get, but we do it in groups of 10 to 12 students at a time, a little bit more heavy lifting on your side. Um, so it becomes uh, more affordable and, uh, you know, also creates a community of entrepreneurs. So do you have a blog or a podcast or anything people can tune into to get more of Julie? Yeah, if you go to brandtwist.com, we've got a blog. We're updating it all the time. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter as well. Uh, it's at jcotton, C-O-T-T-I-N, on Twitter. Uh, you can Google the twist. Uh, there's, you know, we're pretty good at branding, so <laughs> there's <laughs> lots and lots of information that comes up. Yay. So, um, Russell, why don't you have another question? We're going to... 
um, do a sponsor moment and then give you, Julie, at the end, a chance to leave people with a, a tip or a challenge or a closing thought. But I'm gonna let Russell have the last go at a really good question. He's, he's, he's got one cooking, I'm sure. Oh yeah, well, all those wrinkles in my forehead are just common creases. They don't have any particular significance, but. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, and for those of you who are watching uh, here now, they're watching the live video, there is a branding twist school coming up, a semester in a couple of weeks. So if this is something of interest to you, you want to have a look at it. And one of the things I saw as I was looking through all of it, this website has a wealth of information, but there were some things that we, we, talk, we didn't really talk about and Julie says there are three mission critical reasons why you should have a twist. And I'd like for her to share those if she if she could. Sure. Well, I think uh, the first is a twist will will help you stand out. And I think it's really hard to to stand out uh, today in, in competition. I think, uh, you know, the second is bringing a twist to your business means or your nonprofit, you'll have more fun, you know, and it's hard work. <laughs> so <laughs> we, you know, we should be, we should be having fun and doing things differently. And, you know, I would say um, the third thing is think about your, uh, your personal twist. You know, many of us will uh, change careers, work for different nonprofits over the course of our lives. So having, um, you know, paying attention to your, professional and your personal twist will always serve you. You know, a lot of us are serial entrepreneurs or serial nonprofit, uh, you know, professionals. So you want to build not just the reputation for your nonprofit, you want to build your own reputation with the twist as well. I, um, I talked about the, the symphony um, a little bit. Um, and there's a, there's a composite here, maybe that's the wrong word, but, but you've got the symphony, which needs a brand. We have like 750 orchestras in this country. Mm -hmm. And I bet you most of them just want to do a Me Too. We're going to play classics. We want people to come. And then they complain about we're not attracting any millennials at all. And there is a real interest in millennials for, for authentic historical um, church and culture and a lot of, a lot of areas of life. Um, so um, kind of, so the, the orchestra has its, its identity, but then the conductor also has an identity, and that's the person that shapes the sound of the orchestra and is the, the figurehead for the orchestra, even though there's this whole culture of the orchestra. So is that, is that a contrast? Is it a conflict? Is there a synergy in those two? I mean, there's lots of examples, but I tend to know a little about this one. I think there should be a synergy. I think it's great that you have, you know, uh, an organization that has its identity. And I think that the, you know, they don't have to be ad exactly identical, but I think there should be a synergy between the face of the organization, in that case, the conductor and the group. Um, and the other thing I would say is that that orchestra is looking to attract millennials this is a great example of take off your brand blinders. Stop looking at what other orchestras are doing and look at brands that are really attracting millennials and twist those lessons. Whoa. What do you think of that, Russ? I think that she's absolutely spot on. Only Virgin Airways can be Virgin Airways. So everybody can't be exactly the same when you when you're focused on what everybody else is doing, you're probably leaving your own unique talents on the table. So it helps to be able to go through a process and we lead people through a process with our success framework and, and, and brand twisting will help you do that as well. So it's really looking through that unique lens at what you bring to the table. Yeah. Our um, Center Vision brand is, is based on creating synergy through building your common vision. So we know who we are, we know where we're going, we know who we want to influence. Um, that not only builds the synergy on our team, but it builds the synergistic, like with an orchestra, build us the synergi synergistic interaction with our audience, our, our supporters. 
Um, in Center Vision, um, we have Julie's here today on the nonprofit exchange. You can find that on our website, but you can get there by going to the nonprofitexchange.org and it will lead to the page where you have Julie's picture and twist and it's today's interview in video form and you'll have the audio there once we edit it, take out some of the things Russ didn't like that I said. <laughs> and then we'll have this, that's a place that'll take you to the website and it's a lot easier than typing um, centervisionleadership.org. So the nonprofit exchange is who we are. We exchange ideas and we, we're smarter because we work with other people who are smart. On that site, you'll also find the magazine and the issue that's coming out in, in this year. Um, the next issue is all about uh, brand. The brand is not your logo. And you'll find a real surprise with brand twist in that issue of the magazine. So when you go to the nonprofit exchange, you can click on the link that says magazine and you can digitally read all of our back issues. So the community of the nonprofit exchange is the community of community builders. It's a center vision community of leaders who are leading what we call four purpose enterprises. And we are impacting people's lives by what we do. And we're smarter together. So we want to invite you to join this community. It starts at zero dollars and it goes higher when you want to have personal interactions with us or you want more content. It's a place that's safely away from social media. Even though uh, Brand Twist and Center Vision are pretty active on Twitter, we have our own community where we can have some privacy in our conversations. And you know what? Uh, a leader at the other side of the country might be able to help you with the particular situation you're facing. So join the uh, Community for Community Builders. And you can get there by going to thenonprofitexchange.org and look around. You'll be glad you did. We're going to let Julie give you um, the final thought or a challenge or some tips as we close out before Russell closes out this really helpful interview. And Julie, thank you for such great information. Oh, my pleasure. Well, I would say if you feel that your brand isn't as healthy as uh, it should be, because you, you, know, you should build the brand that your business deserves, then I'd love to talk to anybody listening to this. You can go to brandtwist.com and you can look at our brand health check or our personal brand plan. And if you put in the code SVLF, did I get that right, Hugh? That's Center Vision Leadership. What's the F for? Foundation. Foundation, sorry. I thought I was thinking framework for a second. So SVLF, uh, then you'll get 15% off any of our products and we'll put you to the top of the queue in terms of um, you know, getting, a, getting something scheduled. So uh, I would love to, to check out the health and, and support your community however I can. And I would say my, you know, my final thought is your, your brand is your business, whether your business is for-profit or non-profit. You can't separate the two. You can't say I'm going to work on building the business or the non-profit over here and the brand over there. You know, really strong brands are, are connected. Your brand is your business. So make it a priority. Great. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't visited this website, go check it out. Uh, Brandtwist.com. Subscribe to the blog. There are a lot of really cool tools here. Don't think that you have to trip over a half a million dollars to do something about your brand. There are tools out there that you can use. So get out there, have a look at that website. Uh, as always, we're here at the Center Vision community. We look forward to having you join us. Go to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe to the Nonprofit Exchange, where you can hear this interview and many interviews like that. We've got an archive. We've got about four years of great material. So go back and listen to this again and again. It's in the repetition of listening to this that you can actually put these tools to work. Join the community. Reach out to Julie. Julie Coltno, thank you very much for uh, an exciting hour that is just literally flown by and uh best of luck going for it we'll talk again i just ordered your book on amazon 
okay. uh, because you can never have too much information. As I'm fond of saying, when I'm the smartest guy in the room, I run like hell to find another room. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and so we'll be here again next week, ladies and gentlemen. We have a great guest for you here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern here on the Nonprofit Exchange. We look forward to seeing you again next week. And thank you for doing all that you do. Go forth and continue to serve. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.